When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't ever remember taking this many questions and comments that were sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Just so many came in, I had to really load today's program up with stuff just so I didn't get too far behind. Hi, everybody. I'm Don McDonald, and welcome to the Friday. Well, that's when I do it. That's when I put it online anyway, the Friday Q&A Talking Real Money podcast. Forgive me if my voice is a little raspy. I actually recorded this before Thanksgiving to put up the week after Thanksgiving because of all the people taking holidays and stuff. And, you know, you really do have to you don't get to take a break for holidays. That is a that is a misconception by a few out there. Most of us, I don't, or many of us, I'm not going to say most, many of us don't get to take a holiday. We just have to cram all the stuff in on the days before the holiday. Is that really taking a holiday? Bah humbug. Uh, anyway, <laughs> these are uh, these are questions that you sent in by going to TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate all of them. There are so many. Keep doing it. If we have to, we'll do either a longer podcast or we'll do more of them. If you just keep inundating us with questions and comments, we'll keep taking them. Because I don't think I've ever left out one that was sent in from TalkingRealMoney.com. A couple of times I've had to leave out phone calls because they sound so cruddy. But generally speaking, the ones on the computer sound really good. So go to TalkingRealMoney.com, click the contact form, and then record your question. And uh, and uh, we'll just do it here on Fridays. All right? So um, I think we better get going. Let's go do the first one. Hi, Tom and Don. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be able to leave a question for you to possibly answer on the show. Um I have a 403B question, insert grown. <laughs> um, through work, I have options um, through principal investment. And uh, I'm currently 100% in PLHTX, which is their target date retirement fund. And it has a 0.39% expense ratio. This was based off of the recommendations of the paid principal rep who sat me down around 10 years ago. And we did the set it and forget it method. And now that I started listening to your podcast, I realized I could use a second opinion on this. Um, unfortunately, I get a little overwhelmed every time I sit down and look at all the options. I've been investing more and more each year for about 10 years and have been maxing out the annual contribution for about the last four. Um, so my choices within the 403B besides the target date funds include four different large cap options. They've got the Dodge and Cox Stock Fund, D-O-D-G-X, uh, the Fidelity Blue Chip Growth Fund, F-B-G-R-X, uh, the Fidelity Growth Company Fund, FDGRX, uh, Fidelity 500 Index Fund, FXAIX, 
for small cap, I could choose between three different ones. The Dimensional DFA U.S. Targeted Value Fund, uh, DFFVX, the Vanguard Extended Market Indexed Institutional Fund, uh, VIEIX, or the William Blair Small Mid-Cap Growth One Fund, the WSMDX. And for international, there's just two, the American Funds Euro-Pacific Growth R6 Fund, R-E-R-G-X, or the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Institutional Fund, VTSNX. Um, Maybe it's just me, but a lot of the expense ratios on these different funds seem a bit high, and I'm just curious what funds and what allocation between each fund you would choose for a 32-year-old who would love to have the option to retire early or pursue other things. Um, Should I just stick with what I have and stop fussing with it, avoid some hodgepodgeitis, or... What do you think? I would love to hear what you have to say. And thank you so much for what you guys do. Really appreciate it. Well, one thing the insurance companies do do is they do make it complicated. I just don't see why 401ks and 403bs have to have so many choices. I think it's because they want to be fair to the people who create the expensive stuff. You know, they want to make sure that they have their opportunity to overcharge you. And uh, yet they don't want to be too mean. So they give you the DFAs and the vanguards in there. Now, the lovely thing about you is your age. Holy cow. I know you may not feel like it, but you are young. You are young at 32. I have children older than you. Uh, so you have so much time. My gosh, if I did what you're doing at age 32 and did it in the more aggressive growth-oriented funds, by today I would have had a really nice amount of money in my retirement plan. But instead, I was stupid in my 20s and 30s and did some stock trading, never really made much money. In fact, a lot of times I lost some because I didn't do it smart. Now, you've got that target date fund. At a ridiculously high expense ratio, 0.39, no bargain for a target date fund. It should be a lot less. But you do have some very interesting products kind of snuck in there between the lines. And you really don't need much, particularly at 32. I think you can afford to be, if you can stand to be, aggressive now. Because remember, you're dollar-cost averaging all the time, so if the market goes down for even like 10 years, you should cheer every time you put money in going, I'm buying it down, I'm buying it low. So uh, you know, do that. That's one of the things you must do. When the market's down, you should be so excited because then you are buying cheap stuff for that long-term future gain that has, it, at least in the past, always come for 100 years. So what would I do with this portfolio? Well, I can tell you, if I was you and I was 32, here's what I would do. I would build a a, a four-fund portfolio using Vanguard primarily with the DFA targeted value tossed in. And you did say VTSMX and said that was international, but VTSMX I show is the total stock market, which is U.S., Um, but, uh, if you do have a Vanguard and I hope you have a Vanguard international, uh, I would use, I would use the Vanguard total stock market and the Vanguard total international. 
I would use the Vanguard Extended to get you some small cap exposure and the Vanguard or the DFA targeted value. I would just use four funds, U.S. International. Uh, I would probably, uh, between the U.S. and the International, uh, I'd probably do about 50%. I'll take that back. Do about 40% in the total stock market, about 30% in whatever the international offering is, as long as it's not the American funds, uh, about uh, 15 each in the targeted value and the extended market. That's going to give you a really well-diversified, albeit one almost 100% stock portfolio. But I believe that those, and go take our risk quiz at TalkingRealMoney.com just to make sure that I'm right. Quam? Quam. <laughs> I'm turning northeastern. Uh, go check your risk tolerance. But I can tell you at 32, you can certainly afford to be 100% in equities as long as you have the right mindset. Uh, so I would do something like that. And man, you're going to be in great shape, I believe. I really believe that. Thank you so much for the nice comments and the question. And let's uh, move along to our very next one, which I believe is just a comment. Hey, Don. Hey, Tom. My name's Michael. I'm 24 from upstate New York. And I just wanted to say a comment basically thanking you guys for the information you provide. Uh, it's very easy to follow. It's uh, fun to listen to. I'm probably in the minority of saying that I wish these uh, most of these episodes were longer, but uh, I always listen, usually while I'm at work or when I'm going to work. Uh, you guys usually brighten up my day and get me through it. Uh, and you make investing fun. Uh, usually most podcasts seem pretty dry when they talk about it. And uh, I appreciate you guys and your humor. And uh, Don, I think you get too much flack from people, either from reviews or uh, from past callers, but I think you do a great job. Thank you. Oh, but what a nice comment it is. Or what nice comments it was. Particularly that part at the end about the, the one of the hosts. You know, you know which one. Wink, wink, nod, nod, say no more. Um, can you date me back to the 70s? Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Th wait, 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 wait. 32-year-old, 24-year-old. Hey, hey, Tom, what's happening to our demographic? Where are all the old people? <laughs> this is kind of cool. Thank you, Michael. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> I'm having fun. Hi, Don and Tom. I love the show. I've been listening for about 10 months now. And over the last 10 months, I've heard you talk a few times about having a small portion of your portfolio dedicated to inflation protection, but you've never really defined what small is. So I was wondering if you could put a percentage on what you consider a small segment of the portfolio to be uh, dedicated to inflation protection. I'm particularly interested because I see that the I-bond rate has increased, the fixed rate is increased to 1.3% for this cycle and not really needing the money, looking for the tax protection of having the revenue deferred and some inflation protection in my retirement 
accounts. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Oh, come on. You're going to make me give you a number. I like to keep it nebulous with the, you know, like eh, little, some, a little smidge, a modicum. Um, I would uh, actually, based on numbers I've used in the past, we've used in the past, Tom and I and uh, companies we've worked for before, somewhere around 20 to 25 percent of your fixed income portfolio probably should be invested in inflation protected securities of some kind because when inflation does come it can be really hard on the rex on the rex <laughs> I must be tired on on the rest you know I don't do a lot of editing on this uh, on the rest of your fixed income portfolio um so I think it's nice to have another hedge and it's not a terrible hedge, particularly now. You're right with the I-bonds paying 1.3 fixed plus whatever the inflation adjustment is. They're not, you know, they're they're not a zero deal in low inflation environments. So I'm thinking they're looking okay. Tom thinks I'm crazy, but I still kind of like the idea of having some. Those are maybe tips or, you know, actually stocks do help a little. So... But having them, not a, I don't think it's going to hurt you. I don't think it's a big problem at all. Thank you for your call and your nice comments, too. Next one, right here. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Anthony. I'm calling regarding my mother. She's 87 years old. Um, she was with Ameriprise for many years. Um, I finally convinced her to move her portfolio to Fidelity. So I did, got her to do an in-kind transfer. So the, the issue is she, her portfolio is pretty aggressive. They had her mostly Columbia funds. So the Acorn fund, um, they have mid cap, large cap and a small cap. So there's no bonds in her portfolio. But I was wondering, since now it's infidelity, is there a way, would you guys suggest three or four funds I can move her money to? Um, that'd be helpful. And, um, She's very comfortable with her RMD, but I'm thinking that maybe an extra thousand dollars a year might be helpful for her. So um, she's been pretty successful currently. Um, but any suggestion you guys make would be appreciated. Thanks. Okay, thanks for the call. I'm so glad your mom moved from Ameriprise to Fidelity, but who told her to go into Columbia funds? I hope this was a long time ago before. We really had a lot of uh, index and, uh, and, and academically-based products from which to choose. I don't think I'd be in those funds. The problem is giving you any advice at this juncture. Your mom is, is older, quite a bit. Um, I don't know what this money's for. You never really even gave me a hint. I know she's taking her RMDs, and you think she should have a little more income than it's coming from her IRMDs, but I don't know what we've, what we're talking about here or what's coming out. So it, it makes getting even a little close to specific, almost impossible. I mean, I wouldn't be in those. I would probably be in a portfolio that had a little bit of stock in it. Some, you know, like a fidelity a fidelity or a couple of fidelity index funds, the, the U S and their international, index funds for about 
10 to 30% of the total portfolio. But I can tell you the rest of the portfolio I would probably have in a Fidelity or or not who else no probably just fidelity because you're at fidelity a fidelity total bond index type fund or a short intermediate treasury fund something like that uh, that will maintain the the value of the portfolio not fluctuate too much and uh, keep some stability I, I just think that's probably important but without knowing a whole lot more it's really hard what like for everybody, I don't care what age you are. I don't care if you're 30 or 90. You, if you have money and you don't know why it's invested the way it's invested, then you've made a mistake because every investment before it's made should have a why. There needs to be a reason for its existence in the portfolio. And the reason is not, well, somebody told me it was good. That's not the reason. What purpose does it serve? How does it help you accomplish what you want to accomplish? And to give you the why, you have to establish the need, the purpose. What do I want my money to do? I know we sound like a broken record. I know we sound like a broken record. I know we sound like a broken record because we keep saying, start with a plan. You can even do it on my little tiny half-sheet yellow pad that I have here from Amazon where you just write down, okay, what do I want my money to do? I want it to grow. I want it to generate income in retirement. How much income do I need it to generate in retirement? How much risk can I take? Let's go take a risk quiz at TalkingRealMoney.com. Oh, that'll be fun. And then we'll know more. And then, okay, how much income do I need? How much would my portfolio need to make if it gets to here to generate that kind of income? It's just simple calculator math. I guarantee you have a calculator. Do you have a phone? You have a calculator. Or... As we've said before, you can call us at our office, 800-386-3004. I promise you that one of our really nice fiduciary advisors will get on the phone with you or get on a Zoom call or text back and forth or email with you and ask you the right questions at least so you can begin to know what needs to be done. That's really where... Almost every investment question should start. What do I want this to do? And what's my emotional quotient? All right, time for another question because we're taking a lot. We're going for seven today. Seven, seven, yeah, seven. Wow. Here we go. Hey, Don and Tom. Hope this finds you guys well. Enjoy your show. Listen to all the podcasts. I sometimes there's not enough of them. Anyway, it's hilarious. Enjoy you guys. My question is 69 year old man retired, have a 50 50 portfolio, and I have sold off all my bond holdings, which I've lost a tremendous amount of money. And I'm going to put all that money into T bills. Your thoughts on the subject. Thanks, guys. Well, you just market timed. <laughs> you did because you didn't like what the bond funds were doing, so you sold your losers and bought the winners. Now, if you did it for a tax loss, well, that's a good reason. 
But if you did it because they were down and you were tired of them being down, that's a bad reason. Because if you were in bond funds, which I would imagine you were, because I can't imagine you built a portfolio of individual bonds, those bond funds were recovering actually their yield very, very quickly because new bonds were coming into the portfolio. It's almost like building a ladder. Uh, the problem with the T-bills is that they are not laddered. The T-bills are all going to be less than a year. So therefore, what happens? What do you do if rates go down? Don't tell me they won't, because remember all the people who said they're not going to go up? They've been down for so long, they're not going to go up. Remember back when they were 18% and people said, well, they're never going to go down, so get an 18% mortgage. Um, you have to have some structure and discipline. You don't if you do this. You, have, you are dealing with hunches and guts and emotion, and those are the worst tools an investor has. They are the most counterproductive tools you own. Your gut is terrible at giving you advice, paying no attention to your gut. But my gut, my gut knows. It just feels. No, stop feeling. You don't feel the future. You feel the past, and that influences your perception of the future. That doesn't tell you a darn thing about what it's going to do. So if you're going to go into treasuries or something, then ladder treasuries. Have six months, one year, two year, three year, four year, five year. You can get them in the secondary market or use CDs. But structure, discipline, you got to have it when it comes to money. You got to have it because you're going to regret every move years after you make it because it didn't work out in hindsight, like the bonds. They will work out eventually, I truly believe, because the portfolio is always changing to reflect current conditions in a fund. Thank you for your call. And let's see, two more, two more. We're, we're, we're getting down to the wire. Wow, this is going to be a long episode. Here's the next one. Hey, Tom and Don, I'm recording this question on my blue snowball microphone. So hopefully this recording is up to Don's audiophile standards. I have an investment adjacent question for you, and I was hoping you could help me with it. I'm 39, and I'm at the point where I now have a family and a home and what feels like some moderate assets. I've got about 100000 in different savings accounts, 500000 in some 401ks, 300000 in brokerage, and another 200000 in Roth accounts. All of that said, should I be considering something like an umbrella insurance policy? From what I can tell, they seem pretty inexpensive for the amount of coverage that they provide, but I didn't know if there was some kind of magic formula that you recommend to determine at what point they should be considered. Thanks again for your help. Oh, insurance. Such a necessary evil Yes, I know. Sometimes it's necessary. I got to tell you, there are times when I look at how much I'm paying in homeowners insurance, and I know I make people mad, particularly people in the insurance industry, but you know, I don't really care about you that much. Sorry. I mean, I care about you as people, but not as insurance agents. Um, if if I had my house paid for, which I'm not going to do with a 2.5% mortgage, I might, literally might consider self-insuring even though I don't really have that much money, the fact is I'm not that likely to lose all my house. And the other fact is the land I'm sitting on is probably worth as much as the building given the neighborhood it's in. 
So, um, hmm. This question of umbrella insurance, people just say it's a, uh, you know, it's a laydown. It's like, oh, yeah, you should always have an umbrella liability policy. Well, think about it for a minute. Maybe. Um, but you said you had 500000 in a 401k. Well, that's protected. Your IRAs, depending on where you live, might be protected, which leaves you with not a ton of assets that are in danger. So if you have assets that might be taken in a lawsuit, then maybe an umbrella up to that amount. Maybe. You know, it would be great if uh, if if you were just a semi-responsible citizen, you didn't have to fear being sued for slip and fall or something. And, uh, you know, I want to thank firms like Morgan & Morgan for the people headquartered in my town. John, don't sue me. It's yeah for you. He he likes the First Amendment, so I think I'm okay. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's got to be. It's personal. It is not a financial decision, really. It's how much risk are you willing to take, like everything else. Do I think the risk is high? No, I do not. Not based on statistics. Not based on real numbers. It is not high, and the amounts on most, at least, homeowners suits tend to be low. You know, they tend to be within your policy limits most of the time. The ones that do get you are the uh, the automobile issues because cars can just cause so much mayhem. But, you know, again, personal call. Got to be. Thanks so much for your personal call on your very high-quality microphone. The the Yeti, the blue Yeti Snowball, now owned by what Logitech, I think, bought them or something. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Our last question of the podcast. Hi, guys. It's Ryan from Minnesota. Hey, I've got a question about my 401k at work. Um, I've got about a million dollars in the 401k split, about 50% between Roth and traditional. And that's how I'm investing today, 50-50 Roth versus traditional. I'm investing in these four Vanguard index funds, V-I-N-I-X, V-M-C-I-X, V-S-C-I-X, and V-T-I-A-X. Not currently investing in any bonds. Uh, my wife and I are 52 years old. Uh, collectively, we have about $1.5 million in retirement savings and investments, um, various types. So this is about two-thirds of our retirement nest egg. And I just would like your feedback on the uh, allocation that I've got set up today, 25% each among those four Vanguard funds and uh, see what kind of guidance that you would have to share for me. Thanks very much for the show. I appreciate the service. For those of you not following along on Morningstar going, oh, that's simple, that's simple, that's simple. Oh, anyway, what we have here is Basically, the uh, 25% in the S&P 500, 25% in mid-cap stocks, 25% in small-cap stocks, and 25% international. First, I think the, uh, the total mix needs to be a little heavier international. So I would probably 
drop down the mid because I don't think that's as an as essential a part of the portfolio, although you're kind of getting the total market between the three U.S. funds. So you could actually drop the three of those together down to about 50 or 60 percent of the total portfolio and then over a, what would appear to overweight international. But you might just want to go 20, 20, 20, 40 in S&P mid, small, international. That's probably the easiest way to do it. I might drop down the mid and boost the international a little bit to give you a, a bigger small cap allocation. If you don't have a value fund available to you, then this is about as good a massively diversified equity fund as you can get. I just think it's a mistake to short to, to give short shrift. Shrift, I said. Shrift. There's an R in there. To to international. I know the U.S. has been great, but please remember past tense. Has been doesn't mean will be. And I, we say it over and over again, but we can't say it enough. International stocks have bailed investors out for extended periods in the past and vice versa. That's why we diversify. Ooh, I didn't even realize that kind of fit together. So um, that's what I would probably do. And thank you for being a part of the show, the podcast, asking questions, doing all the stuff you do. Remember, you can ask questions at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. Uh, and you can also meet with somebody from our firm, uh, Appella Capital. I almost said our old name. <laughs> We were acquired by Appella Wealth, not Capital. Oh, I even said the old Appella name. I think I'm losing it. I think I'm. I need a vacation, which is kind of what I'm doing after this uh, podcast is done. I'm going to spend Thanksgiving, and it's. I know it's after Thanksgiving when you're hearing this. I'm gonna go spend Thanksgiving with my son and daughter-in-law and grandkids, and then I'm gonna make the trip up to see my mom in the nursing home for a while. So. That's why I'm stocking up on pre-recorded episodes. And thank you for helping me do just that. Take good care of yourselves. If you want to talk to one of our advisors, I see I lost my train of thought at Appella Wealth. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com and click on Meet an Advisor uh, or call 800-386-3004 and have a great holiday season. Have a great life whenever you listen to this, because you could be listening to this in 2025, apparently, still. I don't know why. I guess because, well, at least we're talking real money. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella 
as fees and services. Appella Capital LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. Is anybody still listening?